We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings upon the Prophet, peace be upon him. So, continuing our exploration in Surah 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, we are looking at one more element of Ayah 6 and 7. And so let's put it on the screen. All right, once again, nod, let me know you can you can see the screen. Yeah, good. Okay, so as for those who have rejected, it is the same to them whether you warn them or do not warn them. They will not believe. Allah has set a seal on their hearts, their hearing, and their eyes. So we have a number of of body parts and and here we're looking at a relationship so we have at one level we have the heart that is the receptacle of whatever the eyes and the ears take in so a point i want you to consider is that you're always consuming not just by eating but by hearing and seeing, and nothing that you are consuming is value neutral. Everything that you're consuming has impact. Everything that you're consuming influences you. Now, if you see something one time, it's probably not going to influence you very much, depending upon what it is. If you see it a hundred times, it's probably not going to influence you very much. But over the course of a year, over the course of a lifetime, then these things uh, especially start to influence you. And so think of the eyes and the ears. These are, in some ways, the mouth of the heart. In the same way that the mouth is the mouth of the body, or the mouth is the mouth of the stomach, it takes things in that then go to your stomach. And then your stomach then affects the rest of your body. The eyes and the ears, that is the, the, uh, uh, the, the analogy of their influence on your heart. Now, to make this point further, uh, those of you who are in the Surah Nisa class, this is the lecture from the first day. Looking at the person, these are your parts. <clears throat> so we have the heart, we have the mind, the body, and then we have your relationships your society, and the overall world. So, everything on the right of your screen affects everything on the left of your screen. So another way to imagine this is to imagine this as concentric circles. So let's say you have art at the center mind, body, relations, society, world. Everything on the outside affects everything that is inside. And so when we speak of the world, think of the overall structure of the world and the universal components that are in the world. So we may say potentially, and I'm not even saying it's good or bad, that the dominant system is a capitalist system separated by way of nation states. 
It is an agnostic system. So the institutionalized religion of the world, incidentally, the institutionalized religion of our society is agnosticism. We might call it secularism, essentially the same point. That what is the religion of the U.S. Constitution? It's agnosticism, and especially confirmed by the First Amendment, the Establishment Clause, that no religion is going to be uh, uh, endorsed. So everything to the left influences everything to the right. So it influences the society, influences your relations, influences your body, influences your mind, influences your heart. And then likewise, your society will influence your relationships, your body, your mind, your heart. And we'll look at examples of this in a second, but just to make the point. Think of all the factors that are influencing your heart. Let me see if I can lower this a little bit. That goes down. The magic of technology. And then your body will influence your mind, will influence your heart. And then your mind will influence your heart. Boom. So, so far, does at least the concept make sense? Now, to give you an example, if we're saying that the dominant system is one of capitalism, is one of the health of the world, is evaluated based on the business of the world. Think, for example, how you primarily communicate with people. For example, the way you and I are communicating right now, that for most of us, most of our communications are by way of these devices, right? And these devices are not public services. These devices are businesses. Zoom is a business. And then I'm using a Lenovo screen, which is a business for my on my Windows computer, which is a business on this yeah, Lenovo, Lenovo uh, computer. And, and so it's layers of business upon business upon business. Now, to take that point a step further, student was just in my office uh, complaining about the way her friends are using Be Real. Do you all know what Be Real is? I mean, uh, the older you are, the less likely you know. Okay. So, so you know what Snapchat is, yes? Okay. You know what Instagram is, yes? Be Real is an app that sends out a message to everybody at one moment in the day saying, now you have to take your Be Real photo. And your Be Real photo is <clears throat> a double photo. You take the photo. And then, or you take the photo with your your camera, sorry, your camera or your phone's camera, wherever this is. Take this out, technology. Okay, with your phone's camera. And then at the same time, it takes a photo of you. Okay. That's the whole app that the college students go crazy about. And then what do they do? To make their friends jealous, they'll have this person in their be real photo and not that person. Okay. This is what the student came complained to me about and Mustafa's look of confusion was my look of confusion after I just gave up on all humanity and all that stuff. No, but the point here is that's literally the whole app that is affecting relationships in the same way that WhatsApp affects relationships and or rewrites relationships, probably a better way to put it, in the same way for all of the old people in this class, uh, Facebook does that. I mean, you literally call them friends. And then you unfriend somebody, you unfollow somebody. For undergrads, this is big, dramatic news when someone unfollows you. Or when someone, I mean, blocks is a little bit more serious. And from our old people perspective, I mean, I might have the most gray of everybody here in the room. Well, at least authentic gray. But anyway, so uh, that uh, from our perspective, it's all this childish behavior. But for them, this is all they know. Because think about it, Facebook is about 20 years old. And so, so the common undergrad, this is all they know in terms of human communication, that their default communication is by way of business products. Again, I'm emphasizing that they're products, not social services. Yasin, keep grabbing, keep grabbing. 
Assalamu alaikum Yasin. Keep grabbing, grabbing mom's glasses. Yeah, make it hard for her to learn. Okay, now in any case, so the point being, that's a simple illustration of how the world systems are affecting relationships with then you can imagine affects the heart of a person. And, and so <clears throat> usually much of our religious discourse, whether we're speaking, oh, mashallah, check it out. We have, we have a mirror here too. Uh, uh, usually in our in our common discourse about spirituality and stuff, we only speak about the heart, the mind, and the body. And then you got Iqbal who comes along, who then starts saying that all of this stuff on the right, especially the world system, affects things uh, much more. So to put this into deeper perspective, uh, if I don't remember if it was in this class or the other class where some classes ago, you brought up the point about how, you know, you have these elders that are like so sad and all that, right? Remember that like some time ago? And a point I made is that as beat down uh, and anxiety filled as the common 20 year old is, they're still in better shape than, you know, the common Muslim 80 year old is. Because the common Muslim 80-year-old doesn't have defenses for all this onslaught of social media technology. For the 20-year-old, that's their norm, and that's what's feeding their anxiety. But at least they have some sort of defenses, you know, which are usually not healthy. The 20, the 80-year-old, they don't even understand the world. Well, that was the defense, that at least they understand a little bit how to navigate the world. The 80-year-old does not know how to uh, navigate that, that world unless they are somewhat adept on social media. And so it's causing them different levels of uh, anxiety. And um, are you about to say something, Ifat? Hey, can you give me an example of this? Because I feel like it's sort of, um, you know, I think that generation does have that, you know, my point was that they have a negative way of living. Like their motivations are, you know, let's use negative reinforcement. Like, you know, you're a bad person if you yeah. X, Y, you know what I mean? And then also like, um, the other thing about it is it's like, it's like, um, you know, okay. I went to, I went to a talk the other day. Okay. And it was so interesting. I mean, he was a respected, you know, person in our community and, you know, everything he was saying was fine, but he's like, you should never be satisfied with where you're at. And it's like, struck me like sharp in my chest. I was like, hold on a second. I completely completely disagree with this. And it's like the way that you're voicing this, like you're a communicator, right? Like you're communicating to all these people here and you should be responsible for the words that you use. Okay. So, so what I mean by that is like, basically like you should be satisfied with where you are in the sense of being grateful yeah. and you should strive. So, you know, I think his was maybe a linguistic thing, but he's like, you sure. should never be satisfied as in, at, in your growth. You shouldn't be satisfied, but I think we should be grateful for that. Yes. You know, and like, you know how it is. Your parents are like this too. It's like, if you get straight A's, they're like, yeah, but are you doing every single namaz on time? Like every single one? Like, it's like you can never win, you know? Yeah. And and it's also like self-deprecation like that. Is that what you're talking about? Because the self-deprecation so, should not be taught. I think it's completely so messed up. And I don't think it's part of our culture to do that. Like Islamic culture, you know? So I'd love to hear yeah, so in principle, I agree. Uh, uh, this I hate using the word balance because uh, that's the easy excuse for everything. But for this, I'd say there has to be a healthy balance. So uh, I think part of the history of of that type of of teach of that type of nurturing is basically is to toughen you up, right? Uh, unintentionally, uh, that this world is tough, and so they're trying to tough you up. More extreme examples of that is that in many of our cultures, the parents will give the child like the most wretched name. So the biggest, easiest example of that is Saddam Hussein. Hussein, one of the most noble names a person could have. What does Saddam mean? Anybody know? Hey, Mustafa, what does it mean? Shocks. Yeah. <laughs> Not just shock, but shocks, plural. And so he's coming from a world in which you might literally name your child things like worm which is my favorite word in Arabic. What's the word for worm, Mustafa? A single worm or many worms? Because I suspect uh, it's many worms. Uh, give me both. 
dude is yes yes <laughs> dude is a single word yeah so so dude but but uh but back to the point uh that's the defense i'm giving to it uh but i think part of it is actual just straight up self-hate uh that that the that people are have in have uh have internalized and then are putting on their child and whether it's i mean i love blaming the british for everything it might be related to colonization but the, the point being that uh, uh that i think Part of it is trying to toughen you up, and part of it is just just visceral self hate. You want to know how far this goes? I think even our desi love for for spicy food, for hot spicy food, to the point that it is just painful. I think that's another manifestation of the self hate when it moves from beyond flavor to spiciness. Nadia. So just. You know, when you said, I know you're saying there's a second part of it, but the yeah. toughen you up part, like that might be fine for a great schooler. Like, where's the other 10% if you got a 90? But um, I'm 48 and I still get what if I <laughs> does. And I'm just sitting in my house and no, nobody used to toughen me out up. I'm not like out on the street. So what exactly do you mean by they're trying to toughen you up? Yeah, well, I think they... Like, I don't don't know how to no criticism of your parents or any other parents of the no, people in this room <laughs> or of any of us as parents uh another issue here is i think nobody teaches anyone how to be a parent i mean the only thing we teach in our community is how to be a good student right that okay you know well we'll spare no expense to okay it was like not even that but <laughs> no training in how to be an adult no training in how to be a parent no training in how to be a husband or wife no training in in uh i mean what to think of even community responsibilities and and so then yeah you get parented the same way the only defense i would give not yet to your parents and basically all of our parents <laughs> is that in their brain you never cease being a baby so this is a point i make to to jenna and layla my daughters that jenna is 22 in her mind she's going on 23 25 28 you know so forth and so on in my brain, she's 22. Yesterday, she was 12. And the day before that, she was five. So in my brain, I can literally be looking at her, talking to her as an adult about very mature uh, issues. And in my brain, I'm still talking to a little baby. You know, I can't unsee that. And to even support that point, to make it a lot more fun, uh, if we go to Surah 31, Surah Luqman, this is where it really hit me before I had kids. Uh, I had 12. No. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, right here. Okay, so Luqman is on his deathbed speaking to his son, and he calls his son Ya Bunaya. Hey, Mustafa, what's Ya Bunaya? You know? Oh, son of mine. More than that. Oh, my little son. It's a very subtle form. And so, so the point is, Luqman is probably 80, 90 years old. His son is probably 60, 70 years old. And he is still calling his son, oh, my little son. And I think as much as, and, and I mean, Nadia, do you feel like this about like Zan, for example, and Isa? Yeah. Yeah. Right, but I'm very conscious that I don't have that negative type of... Um, oh, yeah, so how you communicate with them is different. That's not yeah, what I mean. You know, then you're in the middle because then your parents are like, what are you doing to your kids? You didn't... Oh, yeah, totally. And so, <laughs> so, so this goes back to my point that that whole generation is not taught how to be parents. I mean, we don't do it in the community. This really hit me when I was, um, you know, in officiating marriages, like, I don't know, Nadia, maybe you're familiar. Sometimes I officiate people's marriages... And then I realized, this is because I did hers, mashallah. So, uh, but then I realized, officiating all these marriages, especially with these youngsters, no one taught them how to be a husband and wife. And they also need things separate from, the religious side of things, separate from uh, premarital counseling. And then I realized doing that, no one taught them how to be an adult. <laughs> so all semester here, I do adulting classes. Those are my most popular classes. If I do a Quran class, there's nobody here from Loyola right now in this class, right? This was adulting class. They 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 all 
join in. And we talk about everything related to adulting. And so we're seeing the result of it. And so the result of it is you suck as a child. Why could you get A plus? Oh, you got A plus? Then why could you do this? You know. So yeah. Marcus says, I sat in on a Muslim panel once that pretty much discussed how we as Muslims span many different cultures and all that for the types of Muslims we are. Hillary Green can appreciate people finally now breaking this down, speaking about it. Yes. And yeah, yeah, but yeah. And so, yes, yeah, it's easier to see with the with the with the feminine form. Mustafa, you had a question. Uh, a question and a remark. The question is, how far do you think that habit that we've been talking about um, when it comes to like essentially beating ourselves down or being too hard on ourselves or toughening ourselves or being toughened by society, etc.? Like historically speaking, is it more of a modern phenomenon or has it been the case for a while? Um, like, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's probably almost as old as the human race, uh, especially in tough climates. You know, uh, especially of people who are from desert type climates, really, really harsh type climates mountain type climates uh, uh i suspect and this is pure speculation but i think that's much more common than in suburban environments i think suburban environments for example different the inverse of this is my whole life uh, i've never gotten a trophy or i've never won a trophy won a zillion plaques got a zillion medals never specifically a trophy right and now if I join a basketball team, let's say I'm eight years old and I'm the worst player on the worst basketball team, we all get trophies, right? I mean, I think the current contemporary culture is literally the absolute inverse of, of what we're talking about. And it's making everybody, it's like the pendulum is too far again, me and my cranky old self in the other direction, making everybody super soft in contemporary suburbia. Yeah. Exactly. And, and the remark is with regards to what you said about the British. Um, I personally err that way with the French rather than the British because yeah, they're fair enough. Be handed. <laughs> we would just blame all the European colonizers. Yeah, fair enough. If I, you're raising your hand. Well, yeah, I was going to say that when I think about this, I don't know if it's so much. Um, like to toughen you up, but I think like the psychology, and I don't even know if like that generation is fully aware of it, you know, because I think they do it to themselves, right? Oh, so, absolutely. Right. And it's not a matter of toughening up, but it's a matter of like, you know, we need to live based on like anxiety and fear rather than having a full understanding and, you know, uh, thinking about mercy and gratitude, you know, and because there was, there was a very like, I, I know that this was like something that I just could not comprehend. Like, it's kind of embarrassing to admit it now, but it's like, I was at ISNA and I remember like there was a speech where this, you know, they were just talking, you just come to Allah with all of these sins, like up to the skies and he's going to forgive you and you just keep forgiving. And I'm like, that's not how I grew up. I did everything by the book, killed myself to do it and was miserable, but I did it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, feel like, you know, like, this is how we grow up. There's no coming back from sin, you know, like, mm -hmm. it was very Buddhist, it was very negatively driven. So I think like, that is the heart of it, you know, and I think like, the reason they do this is because it's effective. Fear will move you to action, potentially more than love only because you may not have that in your heart, you may not have mm -hmm. gratitude, because you're so divided. So I think like, when you when you teach with fear, you may, um, you may solidify behaviors and like a habit maybe, mm -hmm. but in order to, you know, ascend, you must now think about it from a, you know, your fear is to displease the object of your love. Mm -hmm. You know, it has to, so I feel like that's where sometimes the mercy of Allah is, you know, is not given proper, you know, regard, you know, mm -hmm. in, in that, you know, in that generation, you know? So I think a lot of it is like, I don't know if it's about toughening you up. It's really about, this is what's going to get us, you know, brute force is what's going to get us. And even in yourself, like one of my family members, 
constantly. Okay. Constantly. I'm not good enough. I need to, and I, I told him like, this is so messed up that you do this. I know we all used to do it, but I've come out of it. I don't know what's wrong with you crazy people. So, so I'm like, you need to stop beating yourself up. She goes, no, but it definitely motivates me. Mm-hmm. But you know what it is? We do that. We actually like that's generational trauma that we transfer to the next, you know, to our children, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not healthy. You should not treat yourself poorly. I mean, I don't know. I think it's one thing to be humble and to recognize that you need to improve and that you're wrong. And at the same time, you should be grateful for where you're at and grateful for every single thing that is happening to you. Mm-hmm. You know, even like, you know, your weaknesses, like you got to accept those and say, you know, there's something good. in it. Does that make sense? I, I just feel like there's a very negative approach to how we think mm-hmm. about the world. It needs to, it, we need to ascend above that. So I'm going to add to your comment. I mean, I agree with her, uh, your, the points you're making here. Uh, the part about raising our children that way then starts to backfire completely when they enter the essentially second phase of middle age. So think of middle age officially starting at about 35, going into 40, mid 40s. And that second phase from mid 40s up, then uh, you've all those of you who are this generation, generation X, you've probably seen it with your peers where a whole bunch of people start Leave. just diving into the haram. Yes. Yeah. And There's no so, balance. And so be, this becomes the backlash against that way of rate of being raised that some people will still remain upright. Uh, they might do what you're doing, which is, you know, figuring your way through. They might still just remain super strict on themselves, but other people decide no. Uh, I'm sick of fighting and, and they dive head first into all the big harams that the 20 version, 20 year old version of themselves couldn't imagine themselves doing. Can I say something about this? Please. Okay. So what I was going to say is that I noticed this, like growing up, you know, it's like you grow up in this very, like, you know, like it's a, it's a self-sheltering environment that we create for ourselves. You know, that's how like my friends and I grew up, you know? So it's like, you don't know that people do these things in our societies. Right. It's like you remotely hear about it and then you see it right. As you grow up. And it's like, you see like when Muslims drink, they don't just have a drink or wine with dinner. They are, they're just like, they're like out of control. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's like, it's a matter of like, they're, they're just no balance and they leave it completely. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's just so wild to me, you know, or like you leave your parents' house and you go crazy. And I think the problem there is I think even when you teach your kids with fear and there's no coming back from it, they still have to understand the love aspect of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's like, you can still teach fear and also say, treat, teach the gratitude and the love and everything comes from Allah. And I think like, I do think my parents did a good job with that because if I was, you know, it wasn't about them. It was always about like each of us and we exist with God. So it's like, you know what? He's watching. And I, I don't want to see myself in that light. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it changes things when you instill an understanding of that. And I think to be honest, like the way that that's done is how you yourself as a person lives you live your life like children see that and it's unsaid it's in your everyday actions you know what i mean like i think a lot of like societal evils come from the fact that people are focusing on the outside rather than they're everyone's like trying to like oh i'm going to change the world i have i have to do community service it's like why don't you fix yourself and your home first like see this a lot and i'm just like why are we concerned about the next person when we haven't even taken care of ourselves, you know, we're trying to preach and, you know, help other people. And we haven't helped ourselves. I think it's like getting to know yourself is like how you love yourself. Getting to know Allah is how you love Allah. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that is like supreme. Which fits perfectly in the class. Uh, I says, what if I said when parents teach with fear, they're teaching their kids to fear them, not Allah. So when they leave the parents, yeah, it's a very, very good example. You also see this with international students when they come here who are outside of uh, the realm of the, the shame culture. And then they also, I mean, literally I've had uh, international students ask me if, you know, for like my official religious opinion, if it's okay for them to have relationships, by relationships, think of what I'm saying, with the kufar because they're kufar. Right? Is it a sin? You know, and I was like, "What? What kind of question is this? Why is it?" You know. Anyway, so, so yes. So bringing us back to to the point here is that we are 
Pulling the screen up. <clears throat> All these different forces are influencing uh, everything on the right is influencing everything on the left with the heart being the recipient of all of this. So what is health then? Like this is literally the super ultra simple template when a student is coming to the office with a problem. Part of the goal is to figure out where is their illness? Where is their pathology? So already I'm going with the notion that our world is upside down and backwards in terms of priorities, which then means much of our society is upside down and backwards. And then that affects their relationships, as I've also already illustrated that the, the common 20-year-old, 80% of their human communication, maybe 95% of the human communication is on the screen. And much of that, if we include the characters they see on social media, then the vast majority of their behavior they're learning from strangers, fictional characters, TikTok influencers, so forth and so on, and the way my generation learned behavior from television, right? And then that is then affecting, first, their sense of body. So one thing that was new this year is that I had more men coming to me complaining of body dysmorphia than women. So, this is never this uh it's always been far and away more women than men this year it was far and away more men than women especially this semester i don't know if it's coming from conversations or things being put out into social media or what and all these guys who are saying this they're like ultra fit i mean they're at the gym all the time but they're not at the gym in their brain enough you know and so then this is uh, affecting their navigation of the world. And the victim of it all is the heart. But what is the primary victimization? The primary victimization is that we've all been conditioned that your brain is your rationality and your heart is emotion. Yeah. Now, think of each of these as a realm of intellect, especially your body is a realm of intellect. Your mind is a realm of intellect. Your heart is a realm of intellect. Maybe not the same as your physical body, mind, heart, but your mind is the realm of your sensory intellect. Your your mind, your heart, your body is the realm of your sensory intellect. Your mind is the realm of your rational intellect, and the heart is the realm of your intuitive intellect. So if we draw this out, person, drawing two, or this is more of a chart, we have body, mind, heart. Each of these regions, we said, is an intellect. So this is your sensory or your sensual. This is your rational. This is your intuitive. There isn't really a good word for the intellect of the heart. The intuitive is the closest that I can think of. And intellect by its nature has a need. Intellect by its nature needs to be fed. So the body's need is contact. So think of, for example, the subtle pleasure of something as simple as a handshake. Greater than that, a hug. And then greater than that, other things. Right? The body needs physical contact. If it lacks physical contact if it's if it's not given physical contact then its sensory intellect gets corrupted so you have to hug babies a lot you have to give them you have to even hug them somewhat tightly to give them a sense of security okay this is good to know <laughs> but no i think that is actually a, a real thing that uh Combat is a type of contact that that many people need. I won't go so far as to say it's specifically a masculine thing, but it is a thing that, that many people need. And so this is uh, even consider a smile to be uh, a type of physical, of a type of contact of the body to the body. So everybody smile, even if your camera's off. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, if it's smile. Yeah, 
yeah. Wait, what, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, okay, multitasking. Okay, well, you smiled, so mission accomplished. Okay, so the need of the mind, we have a word for this in English, curiosity. And so the need of the mind is knowledge. So when you have a little kid who's asking every single question, why this, why this, why this, why this, why this, why that, and the parent is getting sick of it, still have to try to nurture it. And so the worst type of schooling, which is the common Sunday school schooling, it's a shut down questions, right? That is a type of violence. And then the need of the heart is intimacy. So the heart, intimacy, I'm going to define here as special access or unique access. And so think of the relationship between two close friends. That's a special bond, even if they haven't seen each other for a long time, right? So I have this one friend that I grew up with, <clears throat> lives on the East Coast. We might see each other once every four years. Uh, we might communicate with each other once every, you know, eight months. Uh, and even those communications are usually short. But then when you see us together, uh, without any words being spoken, then we just start laughing for the next hour. Right. Uh, and so intimacy is the innate need of the heart. So if that is being blocked, then that is also a type of violence. So the true satisfaction, however, we have, you know, worldly satisfaction, which is contact between humans, even the joy of contact with a pet not necessarily a fish. You can't really start hugging a fish, right? But, you know, whether it's anything from cat to higher, higher, higher horse, everything, maybe not an elephant, uh, that gives you a certain type of satisfaction. Of course, human being above that. The truest satisfaction is contact with a law, knowledge of a law, intimacy with a law. Contact with a law can't happen in this world. That happens on the other side. And so that's the true satisfaction. So the more the right column is being fulfilled, the more you experience visceral happiness. The less the right column is being fulfilled, doesn't mean you're less happy than the next person, but you have less uh, fuel for happiness. But if the middle column is being filled, then you'll still have a certain type of happiness. But, you know, one of the most, so we're at that moment in Ramadan, that, that middle period of Ramadan, where you're being totally exposed to your real self. Shaitan's been locked up, so your thoughts are your own. And then on top of that, if you've been fasting on all this, then you've been reduced more and more to your real personality. And so this is students not knowing this. I've been coming to the office in the past week. I've had so many students sad because they have no friends. One student who's literally crying because he have no he has no friends. And then others that are going through similar struggles. And that is a common issue of our whole society where everyone's alienated from everyone else, in part because of business products, right? That have held this alienation with the by rewriting how we do our relationships. And so contact has become ill. Knowledge, of course, we have, you know, the abundance of nonsensical knowledge. WhatsApp University is also being affected. The heart has already gotten paralyzed because we don't think it's a thing. But then people are afraid of intimacy because intimacy includes vulnerability with it. But the more you fulfill the second column, the more you're on the path to happiness. But the more you fulfill the third column, then you're definitely in the proximity of happiness. Okay. So here we're speaking again in the context of the people of Kufr, of rejection of faith. Whoops, what happened here? That what is said about them, they've reached a point in which they have seals. Their heart is sealed off, the hearing is sealed off, their eyes are covered. So, so they can physically hear but spiritually they can't hear. Yep, that is exactly. Notice Mustafa's smile when, when, when little Rafiq uh, joins the screen. Yeah. 
And so they can see, but their vision is clouded. Boom. Now, another element, how does this play out with all of these things influencing your body, your heart? So hopefully part of it makes sense. But again, if we just do heart, here's my heart, here's my mind, and then here's my body. I wonder what like people who are only listening to the recording, what they're imagining when, when, when I say these things. Heart is the realm of irada, your yearning. The mind is the realm of niya, intention. Body is the realm of amal, action. Every action you do affects your heart. So we're taught that if you do an upright action, it polishes your heart. If you do a bad action, a sinful action, it puts blackness on your heart. And you might do so much black, so much uh, uh, misconduct that your whole heart is turning black. What does that mean then? It's like you have a pair of glasses that's crystal clear. You have perfect vision because of it. But each time you do a sin, it puts a little dot, a smudge on your glasses, and then another smudge and another smudge. So you can't see things clearly. In the context of your heart, what that means is that your morality gets, gets skewed. And this is what you see in people that are really, really deep in wrong actions like crime. They have a whole moral system that even logically works, <clears throat> but it is completely absurd. And so the body will affect your uh, uh, your heart. Let's even change the color to really make a point. So we'll use black for good. And we use red for bad. So whatever good or bad you do will affect. But your intentions will also affect. The difference, as we're taught, is that if you intend to do a good act, you get rewarded for having done it, even if you didn't do it. But if you intend and you do a good act, then what's the result? Seven to ten hundred times. Okay, that's outside of Ramadan. So if you do imagine the mind to body, that's one arrow. That's an intended good act. But an intended good act that you do, it's equal to ten to seven hundred of of the intentions so we usually imagine this in the context of reward now i'm asking you to consider it in the effect on your heart so, that if i intend to do a good act i see a person in need and i want to help them i want to give them something i literally sat with someone today uh, this old catholic guy who reached out to me uh, because he's taken in this bengali student and he met his family on like a, a mission trip uh, back in Bangladesh and decided he wants to help his family. So he pay, uh, he's done 100% of this on his own salary. And, and, he, and he's, uh, he's a retired school teacher. Uh, he's brought the kid over to America. He's registered him and got him into college. And he's taking care of his health insurance and a, a bit of his livelihood. And so now he reached out to me, number one, because the kid doesn't have any friends. So, so he asked me to help him find some friends. But then as I'm talking to him more, the kid has some serious health issues, even from like, you know, just wisdom teeth problems and uh, seemingly other problems. And so he's not sure how much of this he can just even afford. But the point is that this is he's reaching out to me six months later. He brought this kid, has been paying 100% for him because that's what Jesus compels him to do you know, in his tradition and complete generosity. And then as I got to know him even more, talked about other things he does because this is what Jesus compels him to do. And, you know, this is him saying this on Good Friday and everything. But the point here is that action, good action, will have massive benefit con uh, um, um, uh, benefits to your heart. But even the intention of helping someone will have benefit to your heart. When does an irada, when does a yearning become an intention? A yearning becomes an intention the moment you take a yearning 
and try to add steps on how to make it happen. Now it's become a Nia. And so the yearning might be, I need to help somebody, or I just feel this, this unmet need that I diagnose that I need to help somebody. And then I think, okay, maybe I can give this person on the street or food, that's become an intention. That is benefiting my heart. And then what are we taught about bad intentions? If you intend something bad, but you stop yourself from doing it, you get the reward for a good intention. So again, we usually look at that from the lens of reward. In this context, look at it from the influence on your heart. Now, if you do a bad action, if you intend a bad action, you do it, you get hit with the cost of doing it on your heart. If you invent a bad action, then everybody carries it who's copying off of you. So Cain and Abel, Abel and Abel committed the first, he committed the first murder. He carries a weight in terms of reward and punishment of every murder. So I was doing this class with my daughter, with Layla, she brought up Okay, what about cyberbullying? And I said, yeah, the person who invented cyberbullying carries a share in all the cyberbullying that happens. But now I'm saying, think about the influence on your heart. If you do a bad action, you invent a bad action, and you see other people doing it too. Okay. Uh, the minimal corruption of your heart is you might actually become proud of your influence. That's a very bad influence on your heart. So to put this Further into perspective, what am I effectively saying? The entire chart of those six parts is from the Hadith of Jibril. And most people only focus on the first three parts. We have heart, mind, body. In the Hadith of Jibril, and I can I can send you the Hadith if you're not familiar with it. Body is the realm of Islam, Iman, Ihsan. When this person, oh, you can't, it's still catching up. When the person of the body, the person of Islam, is uh, looking at the day of judgment, they're looking at the day of judgment according to essentially Hasanat versus Sayyat, which is points. If I do this, I'll get this much reward. If I do this, I'll get this much sin. When you've reached the point of Iman in this context, you're evaluating the day of judgment according to the purity of your intentions. So it's like this person is aiming higher. You have... You have the lay person who's just seeking to be physically fit. Then you might have the high school athlete who is seeking to be physically fit at a higher level. You have the Olympic athlete or the professional athlete who, for whom their body's a temple, right? And then this person, the person of the heart, when you reach that level, the level of Ihsan, you're evaluating everything on the soundness of your heart. So the person in the right column is seeking forgiveness for wrong actions. The person in the middle column is seeking forgiveness for wrong intentions, wrong thoughts. And I'm going to bring this back to fasting, then we'll call it a day. And the person of the left column is seeking forgiveness for when their heart is clouded. So they're beyond committing sins. All their intentions are sound, but they still might have some cloud between them and Allah. And that's what we see when the Prophet, peace be upon him, is saying he was seeking forgiveness 70 times, 100 times a day. For him, he could detect the clouds on his heart. So these are levels of faith. The kafir, if we go, if we speak of this as directions of faith, you go from Islam to Iman to Ihsan, 
most people are starting here, but you might go the reverse direction, which is nifak or kufr. Kufr being rejection of faith, nifak being hypocrisy, which is what we'll be talking about with ayah 8. So this is the person who's seeking to get closer to God, and these are the people who are seeking to run away from God. That fundamentally, they might not see it themselves, but in their life, they're running away from God. And so in our context so far, that is the kafir. They're sealed off. So next, inshallah, starting tomorrow, We'll get into those people who claim belief on the outside, but are basically coffers on the inside. The hypocrites. All righty. Any questions, thoughts, reflections about anything? Silence. Okay. We will stop right here, inshallah. And then we will continue tomorrow with Ayah 8. Subhanakallah. Sabrina, are you waving or are you raising your hand? Okay, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka. Everybody, please pray for Sabrine's cousin. She just had a horrendous experience. Can I share the little bit of details? Yeah. Flew in from the Middle East. She's Palestinian. Lands at O'Hare. Her round-trip ticket was a month longer than her tourist visa. So she got badgered for that. Did she get strip searched here too? Subhanallah. At O'Hare. And then was flown back. Yeah. Not allowed to enter the country. Last night. Yeah, they also left her handcuffed um, just in a cami and her underwear. So uh, 12 hours. And then they ripped up her visa. And they strip searched. They mouth searched. They went through her phone. They went through her belongings, everything. And then she they asked her how much money she had. And she's like, I have 5,000. And they're like, well, sign your belongings. So they made her open up her accounts. Yeah. And then at the end, they just left her stranded in a room with handcuffs, half naked, till they put her on. They put her on a flight and they told her she was not allowed to eat. They didn't give her food for the flight return, return flight. She asked, she asked for water and they refused to give her water. SubhanAllah. This is O'Hare Airport and then yeah. the flight. Yeah. Yeah, and that is still less than what's going on in Jerusalem right now yeah. with Palestinians. Yeah, that's what's really shocking even. I was like, oh my God, I don't think I've ever experienced that personally. I mean, my sister has been detained in Israel. Well, I've been detained. You know, in so. customs, but we didn't go through that so. distraught experience. Yeah, I was, I was detained for 10 hours, but we just sat around. It was horrendous. But yeah, that was America yesterday. So please uh, pray for her and for the country. Thank you. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiru kanatu ilaik. May Allah tell her where you are, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.